Hi, I'm Chris Klink, and you're listening to my Writing Table podcast. Today's guest is Rochelle Weinstein. Rochelle Weinstein is the USA Today and Amazon best-selling author of emotionally driven women's fiction. Rochelle spent her early years always with a book in hand. A former entertainment industry executive, she splits her time between sunny South Florida and the mountains of North Carolina. Welcome, Rochelle. Hi, Chris. So glad that you invited me. In your past life, you worked in advertising and promotions for film studios and record labels, which sounds so exciting. Tell us, how did those positions influence your decision to become a writer? Well, first of all, my kids thought I was a lot cooler when I was in the music industry. So, (laughs) Um, you know, it's interesting. I don't know that they influenced me directly, but when I was in that field, the last company that I was with was bought by MTV. And they were moving everybody to New York. And I had twin boys who were like six months old. And I had the grandparents here in Miami. And it was a very difficult decision, but I did not go to New York. And then I was left with this, well, what am I going to do with my life? So it indirectly influenced my writing because then I literally sat down while my kids were napping one day and I wrote What We Leave Behind, which is my first novel. Um, but the second way I would say those those industries influenced my writing, the first book definitely had some music and entertainment influences, but any aspiring author, writer needs to know promotions and marketing for their books. So in that regard, it had an impact on my career because I was able to parlay that experience into book marketing and promotion. So I I encourage any author to have some understanding of uh, marketing and promotions. There is definitely a huge business piece to this. You don't just write the book and George R. R. Martin may be able to pull that off, but not the rest of us. No, you have a full-time career in marketing. Also your book. (laughs) Tell us about your publishing journey. So I sat down and wrote this first book, What We Leave Behind, when the kids were babies. And I really just had a story to tell that I wanted to put on the page. And I've always been a huge reader. I've always been a journal writer, but I never really wrote for public consumption. So I wrote What We Leave Behind, and I'll make a very long story short, but I, you know, I did what every other uh, author does, and I queried, and I sent it out to agents, and I was uh, rejected and declined. And this was probably around 2012. Um, The book had sat under my bed for years. I took it out. I edited it. I went back and forth. Is this what I want to do? And I ultimately ended up self-publishing it. And I was met with some, you know, it was 2012. So I think the wave was just beginning. And I was met with some resistance. Like, why are you doing that? You should try to go traditionally. It's not easy. I tell aspiring authors that all the time. It's not so easy. And here was a viable option for me to put my book out in the world I did not have these grandiose expectations that, you know, I just wanted a tangible piece of evidence out in the world that I had done this. And I self-published and I did use my marketing and promotional background to um, get the book out there and to break out of the masses. That book ultimately hit the USA Today bestseller list, weirdly. Um, Then I wrote The Morning After, and I also self-published. I had a great experience. But then at that point, I had enough traction that I went back to the agenting. And that's when I got an agent and I got a book deal. So I've done both. I mentor a lot of authors, and there are a lot of pros and cons of each. Pros and cons, self-publishing, it's yours. It's entirely yours. 
And you can do from, from conception to book cover, graphic design, to how you're going to market and promote it and your pricing and your promotions. And you stand to get all that money. It's yours. There's no middleman. Okay. But again, uh, what is that? What do they say that percentage is? Zero percent, zero percent, zero percent. If you don't have distribution, you know, it's, you know, so. So going, going a more traditional approach is you have the backing of a publishing house. But again, even there, if you're not like, an, you know, there's the A-list authors, there's B-list authors, there's C-list authors. If you're not in an A-list, you may not be getting the support of the publishing house. So there's that to think about. Um, you are, it's more collaborative, which is nice. You know, you're working with a publishing house. They're giving you the, the very professional cover, uh, which is amazing. You know, you're working with professionals that this is, this is their business. They know how to make a book break out of the masses. So then there's, you know, the piece where the publishing house gets a piece, your agent gets a piece. And so you are, you know, that's if you're in this for the money. You know, I always ask aspiring authors, the first question I ask them is, what is your goal? What do you want out of your writing? And once you know really and a very realistic response to that question, once you know it, you can answer where you would like to see yourself. Now, mind you, you don't always have a choice. If you get rejected across the board, you know, self-publishing might be the only route for you. But I don't view that as a negative. I view that as... It's, it could be a ladder. It could, there's some very successful self-published authors. Um, so I, I think that you need to really ask yourself what you want out of your writing if you're going to write multiple books. Is this a career for you? Is this one book? Is it fiction? Is it nonfiction? Do you have a platform already established? You know, everybody comes right out and says, I want to write a book and I want to be a New York Times bestseller. And then there's a lot of people that don't do it for that reason. They love writing they just can't not write. And you reap the benefits. It's the journey for them along the way. So do you feel that your marketing background made that indie book hit the USA Today list? I, I think in part, it was weird. I didn't. I, did, I, I mean, not that your book wasn't written, well no, written. No, 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 no. The marketing is, piece. By the way, you, you, you can't insult me, so don't worry. <laughs> I'm so flattered just to be here, so there's no insulting. Um, you know... That, that was such a weird story. That book came out in 2012, but it hit the list in 2014 because I did a major promotion on BookBub, okay? So, but that being said, I had, I had great reviews up until that point. I had like hundreds of great reviews. I had consistent sales. The, I was doing book events in LA. I was in Chicago. I was in New York. I was hitting like all the areas and I had built an audience. So when people saw that it was a promotion and they saw the reviews and they saw, you know, Goodreads or whatever, the Amazon, it really helped. It, 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 wrote, it, it increased my visibility. So it was all a part of it. I can't say it was, and, and listen, of course, it's the writing also. It had to be a good story. You know, this was a, a love story that tugged on the heartstrings. You know, everybody asks, what's the secret to a bestseller? And listen, if we knew the answer to that question, <laughs> we would all be doing it. Um, and there'd be a million bestsellers out there. There's so many different variables involved, but you just have to know at least a little bit about 
each one of them to make your book shine. Your books are shining quite well. So congratulations. Thank you. How does plotting look when you're preparing to write? And also how does that look while you're writing? Okay. So this is kind of like the plotter pantser question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, I get a feeling internally that that's basically the seed that's planted for, for what I want to write. It's, it's a feeling, it's an emotion, and I want to exploit it on the page. It's a situation, a circumstance, an outcome. I need to build a fiction story around it. It's usually some, something I've seen in my life. It's something I've read on the news. It's like something that touches my heart. So I'll know, I, 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 I've done pantsing and I've done plotting. And I have come to realize that no matter what I do, my characters take me in different directions. Uh, I could have, I, I usually know my ending. I knew, I know my beginning. I know my ending. No matter how much I plot out my middle, the characters just go off in different directions. But I typically always know how it ends. The endings are never surprises for me. I typically don't even have an outline. What we leave behind was a complete sit down and write. I just wrote. I had a story. I needed to put it on the page. That was done. Then I tried like outlining one of my other books and it was just, it was a mess. I was looking at my outline and I was like, this book doesn't even resemble this outline. So basically I'm a pantser. You have a family. You have, I saw you had a puppy there. How do you balance your writing demands? I feel lucky in the regard that we're, we're empty nesters. So my writing has evolved into a different animal completely. When my kids were little, I used to build my writing day around my kids' schedules. They were at school, I'd be writing. When they came home, I was entirely mother. You know, it was, my kids were my priority. And as they've gotten older, I've learned to balance, you know, their time and my time. But now that I'm an empty nester, which is bittersweet, you know, it's hard not to hear the pitter-patter of little feet. Mm -hmm. But, you know, now I can write all day, every day. So it, it actually makes me feel a lot more pressure. (laughs) When I have like those deadlines, it's easier. When I have like all day, every day to write, I'm like, oh, I sort of diddle daddle. Well, little things pull you away. Your novel, Somebody's Daughter, deals with cyberbullying. How did you research that topic? Somebody's Daughter was released 2018. And so obviously I wrote that book probably around 2016. Kids were teenagers. And this is what I was hearing around town. I mean, we were hearing in the newspapers, we were hearing it at schools, you know, just about the cyberbullying, the cyber texting, sexting, and the bullying that went along with it. And when I tell you that I write from based on a feeling, what I found was that everybody was judging, you know, the, the boy in the video or the girl in the video that was going viral on you know, how could they be so stupid? And where are the parents? And I, I, I was so vehemently irritated about that because none of us know what our lives would have been like with videos and cameras and phones everywhere. My God, if a phone was following me around, I'd be horrified. And I felt that we, I wanted to write a book that exposed the other side of it. The, you know, we need to be kinder to each other. We need to understand why this happens. They're young and they have this you know, very sophisticated device in their hands. And none of us really know, you know, its impact long-term. Now we do. 
So it was really important for me to write a book from the, the viewpoint of if this were my child, how would I want the world to react? And I would want the world to show some compassion that my child made a mistake and they're not evil and they're not bad. And it could happen to any family and it's happening to families. It doesn't discriminate. So that was the, the genesis of somebody's daughter. And I've spoken at high schools. I've spoken at middle schools and I've talked with the kids about it. And I researched a lot with uh, Elisa D'Amico, who's a lawyer with the Cyber Civil Rights Initiative. And I've actually put her in touch with parents and kids who've been on this other side of cyberbullying. So it's been a wonderful connection. It's amazing when books can make a difference besides just entertainment. Yeah. Most recently, your book, This Is Not How It Ends, poses the question, which takes more courage, holding on or letting go? What inspired you to write this novel? Truly what inspired me to write this novel, it was my fifth novel, and I wanted to return to my emotional love story, like what we leave behind. And I wanted a book that readers were going to cry and keep flipping pages, wondering how it was going to end. And that really was the root of it. I mean, listen, I mean, if I, if you wanted like a more concrete answer, I think we all see in relationships around us, our own, our friends, our family, you know, we've seen people in relationships that they need to let go and that they need to hold on to. And I think that's like a universal theme. Which of your characters most closely resembles your personality? I just want you to know that you have great questions. Thank you. <laughs> oh, well, um, thank you. I, I think truly for me, I think that there's a, small piece of me and almost all of them. I think that's what makes them more relatable and personable. Which scenes are the most fun for you to write? The sex scenes, of course. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't have a lot of those. The, my publishing house has cut a lot of those out. Um, for me, it's really writing that scene that you just know that you've nailed and you cry every single time you read it. Like I'll never forget when my, when Alicia Clancy and I were going through my edits for this last book and there was a letter at the end and both of us, every single time we read this letter, we both were bawling. And I just remember loving writing this book and just that letter and knowing that I nailed it, like that emotional heart fell pulling on every like you know, heartstring. And I just, I love writing that stuff. When you're editing and the familiarity breeds contempt, like I'll read my edits. I'll talk to my author friends and we just hate our books. We're like, like, this is so horrible. Who's going to read this? Familiarity breeds contempt. So when I was reading that scene over and over again, a gazillion times, and I still cried. I was like, okay, there's something right here. What surprised you most about the writing life? Well, first of all, the generosity of the writing community. Um, I have such a strong, supportive group of women and men that we are there for each other in the trenches. And it's like, you know, listen, we all have friends in our real lives. You know, I've got a great group of friends, but truthfully, nobody really understands the life of a writer like another writer. And it's like anything in life, you know, until you step into somebody's shoes. The, and I'm in Miami. So the writing world, a lot of it takes place in New York, maybe L.A. I'm not in a big literary hub, let's put it that way. So I have just been so completely amazed and blessed to have a group of authors that I can turn to for the good and for the bad. And listen, we're all fighting the same battle. We all want our books out there but we have the ability to be so genuinely happy for each other when, when, our, when our friends soar and we're there to pick each other up when we fall. 
it's a beautiful, beautiful community. And I'll tell any other author, what you put into it is what you will get out of it. And, and most of us, the majority of us prefer promoting each other's books than promoting our own books. Who gets to read your drafts first? My first drafts are usually read by, um, I have a couple friends here in Miami that are just big readers. Always my sister-in-law, obviously my agent. Andrea Katz from Great Thoughts, Great Readers reads my early drafts. Lisa Barr and Camille DeMaio, the authors. And that's pretty much my small group. Talk a lot on this podcast about the camaraderie among authors. Can you tell me how those relationships helped? When my first Lake Union book came out and I was a newbie to the to this side of publishing, I enlisted in Facebook groups and whatnot. And I met some wonderful influencers and they introduced me to other authors more established who, for example, blurbed my book. For example, I met Lisa Barr because Andrea Katz asked her to blurb for me. And we formed a very fast, close friendship. And she asked Sally Hepworth. And I mean, if you look, Sally Hepworth is such a superstar. Karma Brown, she introduced me to Allison Wynn. So, you know, you make those connections through these types of groups and whatnot, and everybody's supporting everybody with a blurb or a review. In your view, what is good writing? That's such a great question. Um, I believe that there's great writers and there's great storytellers, and it would be awesome to be both. Not everybody has that, that talent. And for me personally, great writing pulls me in and has me turning pages, and I'm, I always like a heartfelt, emotional connection. But that's me, and, I, and writing is subjective, so every reader is different. There's also great storytellers, that people who are fine writers, but they just have such a knack and a gift for pacing and you know, just telling such a fantastic story. So speaking of, what are you reading now? I'm a huge reader. Right now, I'm in the middle of reading We Begin at the End, which is fantastic. I just finished reading Alyssa Friedland, The Last Summer at the Golden Hotel. I just got in the mail um, Sarah Penner's new book, The Lost Apothecary. So I'm excited about a lot of new books that are coming out. Your bio says, doors open and close, avenues away, one path leads to another. I thought life was fun before, but nothing is more fun than this. I wrote that when I was really a newbie (laughs) and it is fun. This is a strange business. There's a lot of ups and downs. So in the interest of full disclosure, it's sometimes fun and sometimes it's not fun. I think for me, the most fun part is being able to do what I love to do and, and writing and creating and, and shaping characters. And it's also the personal connections that I've made. They're fun. Uh, The events we do, the interviews we do, meeting you, So for the most part, it is a, I I don't like to call it a job because it's not work. It's fun and it's passionate for me. What are you writing now? I just completed my sixth novel. Uh, The working title is Let Me Let Go. And it is a story of a daughterless mother and a motherless daughter if that makes sense, Mm -hmm. who help and heal each other. We're told your life's mission is to find the world's best nachos. What ingredients are in yours? Well, they don't make nachos with um, margaritas, but you always have to have a margarita with your nachos. I don't like sour cream, lots of cheese, lettuce, and extra, extra, extra jalapenos and chicken. Um, And chicken. 
Yum. That sounds so good. Now I'm hungry and it's not even lunchtime. I know. Me too. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) What's the best writing advice you've received? Keep writing. Keep writing. Don't give up. One door closes, another door opens. Try not to take reviews too seriously, the good ones or the bad ones, because why should I give so much credit to a five-star and not to a one-star? Just it's a subjective opinion and trust your gut. Well, thank you for spending some time with us, Rochelle. Thank you. It was wonderful to be here. And I so appreciate you inviting me. For more information, visit RochelleWeinstein.com. Music by Pavel Yudin and photography by Casey Meineke. If you like what you're hearing, hit the subscribe button and consider leaving a review.